Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This week, one of our interns, Hannah Tom, continues our series, Identity of Jesus. We look at Luke 3, verses 1 through 22, and how Jesus is our Savior. Hannah talks about all of Jesus' superpowers and the miracles he performs, and how Jesus should be our ultimate Savior. She talks about putting our identity fully in Jesus, being our Savior, and how that should affect our lives. We hope you enjoy this message. Who likes the Incredibles? Whose favorite is Jack-Jack? What are the other ones? Mr. Incredible, Mrs. Incredible. They all have all these different superpowers, but Jack-Jack. What? Elastigirl and Dash. Yeah. But Jack-Jack is the best one because he has like every single superpower, right? I think so. I think he's awesome. So I just love that scene because the dad discovers that he has all these superpowers when the rest of them only have one, but here's Jack-Jack. What can he do? He has laser eyes. He can turn into a big ball of fire. He multiply, he can turn into jelly. Turn into a monster. Go through walls, he's super strong too. That one's kind of subtle. Yeah, basically, he can do like a million different superpowers, and then there's even more that they show later in the show, right? Or in the movie. Did anyone grow up thinking they would someday have superpowers? Yeah. I feel like if you're not raising your hand, you might be slightly lying, because who doesn't sit like in the corner of the classroom when you're not listening to the teacher, and you think to yourself, if that door opens in three seconds, that means I opened it with my mind. Three, two, one, and then the door opens, and you're like, I did that. That was me, I just opened that door. Or did anyone wish every single year on their birthday that like they could have a superpower, but like it was the one that you couldn't tell anyone because then it wouldn't come true? I did every single year for probably like, how old am I, 25? For 25 years, every single year, I still wish I can fly. (laughs) And half of my dreams, I can still fly. Do you ever have those dreams where you wake up during it? A little bit, but enough that when you fall back asleep, you're still in the dream, but you're controlling it? That's when I can start flying in my dreams, is when I realize it and I'm like, this is a dream, I can do this now. I have a superpower now. Does anyone still think they're gonna have a superpower someday? No, or you don't wanna admit it? Yeah, we got one honest person. (laughs) I think I told you guys the first time I talked that I thought I would go to Hogwarts someday, if you're a Harry Potter fan. Yeah, there's one. But yeah, so I always thought that I would have a superpower because I thought that I was great and I'm awesome and I'm gonna be able to fly someday and I still think that'd be super awesome if God blessed us with that ability but I don't think that's gonna happen unfortunately. It's not written in the Bible. But um, that's one way in which I thought I could like, you know, be super awesome and be the best person and like save myself is I thought I would have a superpower someday. I also relied a lot on my own ability, like, in band. I think I told you guys of a band. I really liked music, and I relied on my ability to, like, play music to kind of be cool and, like, that be my identity. And I would also rely on my athletic abilities to get me far. That didn't really work. I made the B team every single, ter- I, every single time I tried out for a team. I think the sport that I'm best at is ultimate frisbee, which I play now at my Bible college. I don't even know what that means, if that means I'm any good at it. But I relied on my own ability. I always wished I'd have a superpower. Relied on my musical skill. Um, Eventually, I would realize that um, 
none of these things are actually that great about me and that I don't actually have all of these skills that are going to make me great. And I remember one time in my life, um, when I wasn't relying on myself, I had this one boyfriend I thought I could rely on that he would, <laughs> that he would eventually save me. Um, maybe like four years ago, actually. It wasn't that, that too removed. I was dating this guy named Jake, and I was just not in a great place of my life. And I thought, you know what? He's probably going to bring me out of this. He's a super good guy. He's got a good path for his life. So I'm just going to tag along, and he's going to be my hero. He's going to be the person who like, brings me out of this. But that wasn't the case, because ultimately, who can we look to as our only hero? Jesus. That is the answer, and that is what we're talking about today. I don't know if you guys have noticed, if we go back one slide, our little, yeah, our little, little thing here. We've been going through the Gospels to essentially show you the identity of Jesus, because a lot of people talk about identity in sermons and stuff, but we are flipping that, and we've been talking about the four different identities of Jesus as we've seen in the Gospels thus far. So the first one, does anyone remember what Chaz talked about a few weeks ago, the crown up there? Jesus as king, Jesus as Messiah. And then the hands on the bottom, what did Joshua talk about last week? Jesus as servants. So here on the left, we're talking about Jesus as savior today. And then next week, we'll close it out with the symbol on the right that is yet to be filled in. Jesus as savior. So I guess the question I have going into this before we start, who do we look to as our hero and how do we trust them? So who is our hero? Who is currently your savior? What do you look to? And the text that we're specifically looking at, so the book of Luke as a whole, I think, really specifically shows Jesus as savior, but we're focusing in on Luke 3. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, if you want to open that up. Everyone got it out? Okay. So something interesting about this, all of the Gospels... So a lot of Jesus's ministry. So like mine, all of the red text is everything Jesus was saying. So they specifically focus in on Jesus's life and ministry. And that's what the gospels do is they show four stories side by side, all with different narratives of Jesus's life, top to bottom. And the purpose of the series is to kind of look at what different ones point out specifically. And Luke particularly shows the ministry of John the Baptist in one chunk so all of the other ones show like little bits and pieces of John the Baptist's ministry. There's a lot of Johns in the Bible, um, but specifically John the Baptist. They all just show little flickers of it, but Luke 3 specifically reads out um, a big portion of his ministry leading up to Jesus' ministry. And that's something that I thought was super unique and cool to the Gospel of Luke and something specific that would show it and its differences than the other ones and specifically show how he prepares the way they always say that, that John the Baptist prepared the way. And he prepared the way for Jesus specifically by preparing hearts. That's what he did, and that's what we're going to read about. And let's get into it. So I'm going to read, I think our first section is going to be 3, 1 through 6. So, 3, 1 through 6. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being the governor of Judea, and Herod being the Tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, Tetrarch of the region of Iturir, I can't say that, <laughs> and Trachonitis, Trachonitis, and Lysanus, Tetrarch of 
I should have practiced this before. Abilene, during the high, the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, and the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. The voice of the one in the wilderness, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and crooked shall become straight. And the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. So what is the importance of this? All of the names and the confusing references and all of that in the first part. The first time I ever read through the Bible, I would look at those sections with so much confusion and just completely pass by them. And sometimes it's not necessarily, all the details are incredible, and if you can understand them, you're understanding a whole lot of the Bible. But the significance of Luke writing this here, specifically before talking about the ministry of John the Baptist, is to point out that the setting right now is in, that's a guitar, is in political Rome, talking about the politics of Israel and the religion of Israel. Those are the three things that all of the details that are really confusing in this passage are talking about and basically calling out. So like, the people reading this knew that that's what he was referencing. He's talking about the political problems in Rome, the political problems with Israel, and the religious the religion of the current state of Israel and the Judaism they were living in. And then specifically pointing out the words of Isaiah the prophet, that's incredibly important because he's also calling attention to every single promise made in the Old Testament. So the Old Testament, who likes the Old Testament more than the New Testament? Who likes the New Testament more than the Old Testament right now? Yeah, I was with you guys at your age because the Old Testament can be super hard to read because it's full of history. And I really did not like history. That was the class I always had the C in in middle school. Every other class I had like a B plus, but history was a C. And that carried on through high school. And I still struggle a lot with history in the Old Testament. But what this is basically saying, the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. And crooked shall become straight. And the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see salvation of God. They're pointing back to all of the crooked ways of Israel. And everything Israel has gone through. If you ever want to read through Exodus, it's all the stories of you know, Israel's like literal trek through the wilderness and everything they went through. This is recalling all of that and saying that the prophecy, like the reason why they were doing what they were doing for the future salvation through God, that all flesh will see it, it's calling attention to all of that right now. So that little bit is saying all of the political stuff going on, all of the religious stuff going on, listen to me, listen to me. And this part, if you've been following Israel through all of history, you have to listen here too. So he's calling every single person's attention to this, to what he's about to do. And saying that he's giving a baptism of repentance, that John the Baptist, John the Baptist is proclaiming a baptism of repentance is also incredibly important because Judaism culture at this time, so this is commenting on the third part, religious Israel, they would practice um, like temporary baptisms. So baptisms that would cleanse their sins just for a little bit of time and then they would have to go back and get cleansed again. But for John the, baptism, John the Baptist to proclaim a baptism of repentance, so saying 
This is a baptism that he's going to give you that is like one and done. Like this is the one we've been waiting for. This is the final cleansing that we've been looking forward to this whole entire time. And that's the scene that's set in these first, what, six verses here. He's calling all this attention to the focal point of this one baptism that we've been waiting for, for all of salvation and and what this means. So, moving forward into verses 7 through 9. So, verse 7, he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, John the Baptist, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees, and every tree, therefore, does not bear that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. <laughs> so he called them a brood of vipers. <laughs> I don't know, I've never been called a snake, but that doesn't really sound super appealing. So what that basically means is like, at this time in the desert, when it would get super hot and heated in the ground, the snakes would come up out of the ground. So he's saying that right now, he's stirring the ground, he's making it hot, and this brood of vipers is coming up and showing their true identity as just snakes. And snakes in the Bible have always referenced um, just like evil stuff. They've always been a reference at like something evil. So he's saying, you evil people are coming up out of the ground as the heat is coming to you. And you're saying that because of your lineage, because you have Abraham as your father, that you don't need to repent. So he's calling them out for the fact that they've been relying in their lineage. So they've been relying in like, so if you went in the shoes of Jack, Jack, Dash, and what's the sister's name again? Violet, thank you. I always forget it, sorry. Um, so it's like if Violet, Dash, and Jack, Jack were like, no, we're fine. Our parents are superheroes, so we're going to live like such a protected life. We're going to be safe, even if they didn't have superpowers. That's like them saying, my parents are superheroes, so I'm going to be safe for my whole entire life. Right now, that's what these, these Jews are saying is, well, we, Abraham was our father, so we're, we're good. We don't have to repent. We don't need that. We don't have to do that. And John the Baptist, John the Baptist is calling them out saying, no, 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 you you do need this. God is able from these stones, from nothing, to raise up children for Abraham. So like, even if they weren't in this lineage, God can pick anyone to be his children. He doesn't need your lineage. Like, that's, that's awesome. That's great. But like, God can raise up his children. Your lineage doesn't mean anything right now. And then he warns them in the next one, even now the axe is held, laid to the root of the trees. And every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So if they don't repent now, that tree is going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. And it's going to be obvious because fruit is going to grow or it's not going to grow. All right, we're going to go into the next section, 10 through 17, if you're following along. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you're authorized to do. Soldiers asked him and he said, what shall, and they said, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not exhort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. 
As the people were in expectation and all were questioning their hearts, questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. And John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I to come, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor, to gather the wheat out of the barn, but the chaff will burn in the unquenchable fire. That was a lot. So, <laughs> um, 15 through 17 specifically is the next little part we're looking at. So everyone was questioning their hearts. Now everyone's listening to John. Everyone came near him, it said, all of the crowds. And they were all listening to him and focusing on what he had to say at this point. And they were in expectation. They were waiting. They were ready to hear what he had for them. After all of this, this setup, all of the people he called attention to, they're all listening, they're all here, they're all ready. And they all think he's the savior. They look to him and they think he's the Christ. But he says, he lays out very clearly, I'm not even worthy to untie the actual savior's sandals. So if you think I'm great, that's not me. Like, he's basically saying that by, by comparing himself to someone who is not even worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. I guess a modern day version of that would be like saying he's not even worthy to like wash Jesus's car. He's not even worried to be like worthy to be the guy who like serves him at cookout or like his Waffle House waitress. Like he's not even worthy to be someone who's serving him. So if you think I'm the Christ, you just wait because he who is coming is so much better. Because John was baptizing him with water, but what he's saying is the person coming, he's baptizing you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And in that time to say that meant that this person who's coming is going to purify you. He is going to cleanse you because that's what fire does, is it burns everything around it that is not necessary. It cleanses it completely. Um, <clears throat> so he's setting this up to say that there's nothing greater. And to the winnowing fork in his hand. So imagine like a pitchfork. You guys know what a pitchfork looks like, right? It's got like the three prongs. You always see a farmer holding it. There's that one famous painting of like the husband and wife. The winnowing fork is saying that like he's picking up what's good and everything that's trickling to the ground. Because if you ever, who's ever picked up a hay bale with a fork? Oh, it's a lot of people. Okay. That's surprising. I'm from Wisconsin. There's a lot of farms and fields. When we go on field trips sometimes, we went on a field trip to a dairy farm when I was in middle school and again in college. And we actually get to do that, like pick up the hay bales with forks because they like feed it to the animals. Stuff falls down, right? And that's what he's saying is like, if you're not like being picked up by this fork that is like the call to repentance, all of this stuff is about to be burned. And that's what he's saying by referencing the fork. I thought that was super confusing at first. All right, moving on to the final section, 18 through 22. So, with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been removed from him by Herodias and his brother's wife, and the evil things that Herod had done, added to this all that he locked John up in prison. Now, when all the people were baptized, this is, you know, the whole, all of the crowds that came to him, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus had been baptized, 
and was praying. Because at this point, Jesus wasn't in his ministry yet. He was preparing for it. So every single section before this chapter three leading up to this was talking about like Jesus's upbringing and childhood. And he's almost, almost where he's at the point in his life when he's going to start preaching. So he's probably in his mid-20s or something right now. And Jesus had been baptized and was praying. And the heavens were opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice from heaven, and a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. So what does this all mean? Has anyone ever heard the voice of God descend from heaven on them, like a dove in bodily form? No? Yeah. When God speaks in the Bible, it's usually pointing to something incredibly important. Like, think about Genesis. How did God bring creation to be? What did he do? Anyone got it? He spoke. (laughs) He spoke it all into existence. And this doesn't happen very many times in the Bible where it literally says that a voice from heaven speaks, but this time it does. When Jesus is baptized, he says, you are my beloved son, and with you I I am well pleased. And basically, long story short, what this does is by that being said, it calls to attention multiple times in the Old Testament, the old history book, where people were expectant of a future messianic king to come. They were looking for a sovereign king. They've always been searching for a sovereign king. If you read about all the many bad kings Israel had, this is the one they were waiting for. So when, when he says, and what is it, verse 15, that people were in expectation This is calling back to all of the people who are always in expectation. They've always been waiting for someone to come to be their messianic king, to be their savior, to be the one and done. And the whole entire purpose of John the Baptist's ministry, this section here, this section that Luke focuses in specifically on, is to say that this is the one you've been waiting for. We're done with these baby cleanses here and there. We're done with these like, these temporary washes, this is the one baptism that you want because this is your savior who's being baptized right here. This is the one who's come for this purpose, the one you've been waiting for. He's the one who's God's beloved son with whom he is well pleased. He's the only one who can save you, the only hero who you need, the one. So every single power Jack-Jack has is nothing compared to the power that God has. I think we have a cool slide. So I found this really cool website that just pointed this out. So basically, throughout the book of Luke, throughout the book of Luke, these are all of Jesus's superpowers that are laid out. So Jesus has complete authority over everything in the world, including overcoming evil. There's all the verses. Controlling nature, that's a cool power. Overcoming death, that's kind of cool. Healing people, I think it goes on. The power to forgive sins, that's kind of awesome. (laughs) The power to bless people, the authority to give people eternal life in heaven. I don't know about you, that sounds kind of pretty cool. And Jesus displayed the miracle of overcoming death through his own resurrection after being crucified on the Roman cross, which is the story we hear about every single year around Easter. So Jack-Jack's powers are pretty awesome, but... I don't know, I think that might be just 
a little bit cooler. And if that isn't even cool enough, I'm pulling up a list on my phone. Can anyone remember miracles that Jesus does in the Gospels? Let's just name some out, yeah? Water into wine. Helped a man who's paralyzed. Fed the 3,000. 5,000 too. He, does, he feeds a lot of people a lot of different times. I'm going to quickly rattle off a list of all of the miracles Jesus does. Are you ready? <clears throat> these are all only in the book of Luke too. Well, some of them are in other ones, but these are all of the ones that are listed in the book of Luke. So, Christ passed through a crowd completely unseen by the multitude. He raises a widow's son. He heals a woman with an infirmity. He heals a man with dropsy, which is like a disease. He heals the ear of Malchus, a servant of a high priest. He heals the daughter of someone. He feeds the 4,000. He heals a centurion servant with palsy. He heals the blind and someone who is demonic. He heals another demonic person in a synagogue. He stills a storm. He stops a legion of devils from entering a pig. He heals Jairus' daughter. He heals a woman with um, a disease that has to do with blood. He heals a man sick with a disease called palsy. He heals a leper. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. He heals a man with a withered hand. He heals another demonic child. He heals a blind Bartimaeus. He walks on the sea and feeds the 5,000. And that's most of them, but there's still more. I don't know about y'all, but I think that's the guy I want to be my savior. I think that's the guy I want to be my hero. Because I don't have superpowers. I can't save myself. Nothing I can do on this earth is possibly good enough. And I definitely cannot raise the dead. <laughs> so, all that to say, I think something we really need to do is look to Jesus, not just as our hero, if you want to click the next slide. He's our savior. And understanding the difference between that. Because having a hero is super awesome, and that's really cool. And we should have heroes and people we look up to. But Jesus is so much more than that. He's the savior who came with this one and done. He came with the repentance that we, or not the repentance, he came with the baptism that only comes through our repentance. That's the whole entire purpose of the section we just read through. The whole entire purpose of John the Baptist is calling us to repent so that we could be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit through what Jesus did. But how do we do that? How do we actually recognize Jesus as our savior and as our ultimate hero? Because I think that was like, I think the question I stated at the beginning was, who is our hero and how do we trust in them? So if you wanna to go to the next one, we need to first admit that we need saving. I hate doing that. I don't like doing that. No one likes admitting when they're bad at something and not good enough and not strong enough to do what they wanna do. No one wants to tell themselves, sorry, you can't do this. Do you look in the mirror and say that in the morning? Because I don't. I don't look at myself and say, you're going to need help with this today. <laughs> I usually try it on myself first. It's like with groceries. Who likes to carry every single bag in all at once? Yeah, most of us. No one likes going back to the car. Everyone likes bringing all of them. But sometimes you have to admit you need help, and you have to admit that you're someone in need, that you're someone who needs help, 
And you can't do it. You're not strong enough, fast enough, big enough. You don't have the power to save. You can't raise people from dead. You can't heal a million different diseases or get rid of demons for that matter. We all need one savior. So you must first look at yourself and identify that that's part of your identity is you're someone in need. You were born in need. You were born in need of a savior. And you must identify that Jesus is the one who has the identity of being the son of God. He is the one who is God's beloved son with whom he is well pleased. And he is the one who's gonna save us. You must be in danger to need a savior and recognize that you are. You must identify as someone in need. You must be lost if you're gonna be found. And ultimately, this actually relates to what Jasper said, that verse. I don't remember what it was, but he said that you must die to yourself. You must be dead in order to be given life. So. In order to receive the life of Christ, you do have to die to yourself. You do have to look at yourself and say, I'm not good enough. I need a savior. I'm going to let everything inside of me that wants to be everything just die and fade away because Jesus is the only one who can give me life. I cannot give myself life. So, in closing, we have a couple questions to look over. So what in your identity do you possibly rely on more than Jesus? So what do you look at yourself as and think, I don't need Jesus, I can do this. Like I, I have these things that I can do. I have the, like, this is what I rely on every single day. These are my strengths. Like these are the things that I'm good at. And then a second question, can you recall a time when you knew that Jesus was your savior or when you knew that he was the hero in your life? And just explain that with a few people around you.